podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. On today's episode, I'm going to start interviewing some artists that we have worked with through the Wisconsin Music Ventures series. And the first artist that I'd like to talk with is Mr. Steve Burks. And there is actually a reason I would I picked him as the first interviewee. And I didn't tell him this yet, huh? but there, there's a reason why. <laughs> uh, there's five reasons why, actually, because in the first episode that I recorded, I talked about five reasons, uh, five things that musicians could really do things, uh, do better in their, in their work. And I believe that Steve is, is someone I worked with who is doing all those five things really well. And um, so I think that he can talk more on, I'd love to hear him talk more on what he's done in the industry, how he has learned to do all those things so well, and just his background in general. So, and I'll, just a quick review for Steve. Um, those five things are number one, he has his own website. Um, that's different than a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people tend to just use social media, just use Facebook, just use YouTube for their go-to, but he has a HubSpot for things. He is not just using Facebook for the end all be all. That's the second point. Um, he uses YouTube. He uses, you know, uh, Twitter. He's, he's engaged with a lot of different places. It is not just Facebook. The world is more than Facebook. Uh, for him, uh, appearance does matter. And I've seen him at his shows. He puts effort into the whole ambiance of the event. Um, appearance in the bio photos matters. I've seen some musicians' bio photos. I mean, they, they could use some work. <laughs> and the, the whole appearance, along with the musicality, has been, has, shows effort. As, and the, the dead time and the, and the streaming of the actual music in the show is, I mean, there's, there's a very streamlined performance. Um, the effort has been put into the set list, uh, and into the, the dialogue within the shows. That's the fourth point that I brought up last time. And, and once again, the fifth point, the set list themselves, they've been curated for the audience. There's been effort put into them, uh, when they are sent to me for, uh, performance rights purposes. I see that they are done really well, very professionally. Um, they are a work of art in themselves. <laughs> and so those are all of the five reasons, the five things that I brought up in the first episode. So Steve, um, thank you for all of that. <laughs> you, I think a lot of musicians can learn a lot from you. And, uh, so I'd like to go ahead and just start asking you some questions. Um, first of all, I, you know, maybe based on those things, is there anything you would like to say in response to that? Thank you. <laughs> that, that makes me sound really good. Actually. So yeah, thank you. It's, but but it is nice. It is nice that some of that stuff is noticed because some of the things that I I am actually conscious of, especially like for example the uh, the issue of kind of curating, like um, planning sets you know, according to demographic. Absolutely. It's nice that somebody noticed that. Absolutely, it's, it's very uh, noticeable. It's very noticeable, and it's really great to, that musicians are taking that time to to consider that. Yes, uh, I should really read your, your full bio here. 
the bio that I have on you before we get started is that you are a soul-rooted singer-songwriter, rap artist, and pianist from Gary, Indiana, who graduated from the Indiana U- University Jacobs School of Music, worked with the House of Blues Music Forward Foundation in Dallas, Texas, and performed as a soloist in the cruise industry for the last eight years. And how did you end up in Wisconsin <laughs> after all that? Tell us yeah. about your story. Okay, cool. Well, um, so I actually moved. I, I moved to uh, Milwaukee in 2016. Uh, and I actually came here for a gig. So uh, I got a call uh, from a principal, actually, at a middle school town. Uh, and it was really weird because I've never applied for uh, any work whatsoever in the state of Wisconsin. So it was, I've, it was super bizarre. But I, I got contacted by an administrator here uh, who uh, was looking for somebody to, to take over a general music course uh, at a school town, a choral slash general music course, middle school level in town. And I even asked, I said, well, how did, you know, how did my resume even come to your attention? Uh, she didn't, she kind of, she, she mentioned that I guess the, her administrators had it along with other uh, resumes, but she didn't know how they got it. So it was super, it, it was super random. Like, I don't know how I got contacted. Uh, I got a call like in 2016. And so I came up for a teaching gig. And so in 2016, I did that for a semester, uh, but you know, that did not work out. So I wound up moving back into performance. But because uh, in terms of the, the nature of the gig that I went into, uh, I had already been working on cruise ships. First off, I had been doing that since 2012. Um, and I was still doing that at the time I got the call to come up here. Uh, but there was no particular place I needed to live to continue that because they, you know, they fly you from wherever. Sure. So I didn't have the usual uh, um, residence employment link that most people have to deal with because, you know, in many people's uh, situations. Uh, work determines where you live. I didn't have that situation. And so um, I liked Milwaukee. Uh, I didn't have my eye on any other place. I just wanted to be, you know, in terms of residence. So I just stayed here. I, I had gotten here and everything already had set up, you know, I had, had my place. And at the time, I, you know, I was on like a year lease. Like, oh, well, I'll just stay here, you know. Um, you know, I, I didn't have anything else in mind in terms of where I wanted to reside. So I was like, I just hang out and half the time I was gone anyway, you know, sailing right. somewhere. So uh, that's what brought me here, honestly, was a, a really unexpected gig. Um, but, but even after that ended, I just kind of stayed. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a Midwest guy anyway. It's Gary's, right. it was, I'm a Lake Michigan guy anyway. So culturally, even in terms of this part of the country, it's my speed. You know what I mean? Um, so so uh, yeah, I just stayed after that. You know, but I, I, I really like Milwaukee. It's a, it's a nice fit. I dig it. Dig Great. Well, yeah. I'm glad you're here. I'm yeah. glad we met. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So how did you, how did you get your start as a musician and, and why music? Well, yeah. So, you know what, when I think about questions like this, because uh, we've heard them time and time again, right? I'm always trying to duck the cliches. I don't say something cliche, but I guess sometimes that's, the answer is not deep. It, it's not clever. So for me, uh, I think I was literally always always musically involved. I mean, my parents told me that uh, probably preschool age, they observed a musical inclination on my part, like with little starter instruments, you know, like, you know, little pretend guitars or like uh, congas or like, you know, kind of percussive instruments. They observed it and so they just fed it uh, by buying me, you know, I guess developmentally appropriate instruments as a little bitty thing. So I've always been uh, musical. Uh, it would, so I didn't arrive at a point 
where I made a decision per se. I've always been that. Um, so I guess that's, that's the straight answer mm-hmm. is for me, that was simple. Mm-hmm. I never had to, I never made a decision. It, it sort of chose me. Right. You know what I mean? So there was never anything else. Yes. It, it chose me. It, it never occurred to me. Well, actually I, I was about to say it never occurred to me to do anything else, but that's not strictly true. You know, once you become an adult, um, and, and I don't want to get ahead of you because some of your questions are probably going to get too. Uh, pre-income consideration, uh, I never considered anything else. I only began to look at whether I want to continue doing this or do something else when the money question came with the bills and the overhead. When the adulting stuff kicked in, then it became a philosophical discussion. But honestly, prior to that, no, I was, there was no decision. You know, free self-awareness. I was already. Great. Yeah. 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 Uh, were, you, were you inspired by anyone? I don't know. Say who else, anyone else who lived in Gary? Just out of curiosity. Well, no, that's cool. Um, <laughs> actually, uh, and he, he's passed away now. Uh, but my brother-in-law, uh, uh, Mr. Dennis Willis, was my first uh, and primary real life model. Um, he was, uh, uh, and this is when I was little, you know, even from the time I was like in preschool, he was the, uh, minister of music at my church, mm-hmm. uh, the church where I was for the you know, first 18 years, literally. Uh, he was also an educator, a music educator in, in, um, city. So he was music ed and he, you know, he worked in, in the black American church and, um, he was like a soloist. He was a fantastic, fantastic musician. I mean, the guy was one man band mode, you know, just organist uh he was a vocalist and then you know an educator and his the way he taught choirs was phenomenal so he he was my model really first 18 years up close and personal when it was it was dennis willis you know and he's he was a bit of a legend actually that was back in the day but he was yeah. a legend in town but yeah i had that one person even before but again it was yeah. from childhood you know that's what i sort of got exposed to and I, and I and honestly, I can even see now that um, not only in like sacred spaces, not only in like uh, like say Black American gospel spaces, but just period as a performer. I think early on that made an impression on me Absolutely. about the self sufficiency. Play it, sing it, direct it, just do it all yourself. You know the juggling. I thought that was the model for musicianship. So when I got older and I you know discovered, oh wait a minute, some people just play piano. Like you have a piano part. That's all you playing, and you got a basis, and you don't have to do everything. You know, it was that. So it was, it was, um, it's like lifting five hundred pounds, like bench pressing five hundred pounds, and thinking that's the standard, and finding out everybody else does two fifty. You know, I was, totally. I was like, oh. oh yeah, yeah, Mr. Willis. That's great. Yeah, See, Willis. I thought you were gonna say Michael Jackson, but no. <laughs> didn't know him. Didn't know him. Nah, he, <laughs> he was a little bit before me. Yeah, they were gone by the time I came along. Okay, no, 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 it's all good. That would have been a cool answer, though. Yeah, well, Mike. <laughs> Me and Mike. <laughs> no, your answer was way better. So okay. way better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> Much more it. real. Yeah, yeah. No, good. Um, and so, what taught you, or how did you end up learning? Because you're you're such a great music businessman. Oh, thank um, you. So how did what? Where did you learn that from? Because I know I mean, you have a great music background. You know where you studied, where you learned. You know, um, 
and IU, um, you know, your, your background there, well, you talked about that in the bio. Um, but where did you get your business savvy from? It's interesting to hear myself described that way. Um, cause I don't feel savvy, <laughs> you know but, uh, but thank you though. So, mm, mm, I'm a bit of an autodidact. Yeah. So I read a lot. Okay. And so honestly, it was self-taught essentially, uh, my sort of desire to know what I was doing. And, and, and I actually, you know what, Allison, I would also say in my case, because, uh, I've never had an extensive network on which to depend in, in terms of accessing opportunities. Uh, I've never had the people, no, no roll with it. Never had, never had the click, never had the, the, the social component. Uh, I've generally been a soloist, you know, even just, just socially speaking, you know, I've, I had friends, but a network was not my asset. That was not my advantage. So it came down to what can I do on my own? Kind of like, you know, what do you control? Knowledge is something that I could control. Hmm. Honestly, uh, I never thought of it this way. That's why I love this, this conversation we're having because you're enabling me to look at what I've done. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, I guess the broad strokes, that is what it was. Hmm. Uh, knowledge is self-empowerment. So I, a lot of reading, you know, and again, I've, you know, I'm, I'm 51, so I've been around a, a while. So lots of years of articles and books and conferences and things, you know, on business, just, you know, because I've, you know, I've always been interested in recording. Um, so it was just, just self-education, but a lot of it, quite a bit of it, you know, and I tend to be kind of academic in my, that's just the way I am. I'm really cerebral. So lots of reading, honestly. Great answer. Yeah. Did, uh, did you have any business classes in any of your music education along the way? Uh, I know at IU, uh, at the time that I was there, uh, I had not taken any courses that had to do with the, the industry specifically. I think now there's more of that there. I, I think, you know, a lot of the conservatories and the, you know, in the D1 um, music, pro music programs, they've incorporated that, the entrepreneurial. Bit. At the time, uh, we, I, I did not have that. Um, so it was, it was always just kind of on my own reading. Um, yeah, good for uh, you. Yeah, good for you. And are you continuing to do that uh, with other resources currently? I have to just because now the, the landscape is majorly is majorly an adverb. Yeah, why not? Okay, <laughs> so like, we'll make it one. Yeah, we'll make it. One. But um, because things have shifted again, because now it's streaming and you know music has lost leader, and we're in another kind of paradigm now. So now I you know I subscribe to Billboard honestly. That's probably the primary way I just kind of keep abreast of the conversations. Sure. Uh, you know, I'm not an MBA, so I'm, my, my uh, range isn't deep. Uh, but just casually, generally, I at least try to stay away from conversations. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, now it's it, it, the paradigm. It's, it's a weird paradigm shift because, you know, I remember when Clive Davis was talking about music being a lost leader. Well, at the time when they established his uh, program at NYU. Uh, he at first, he and, you know, some other thought leaders started talking about it being a lost leader. Uh, and I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't like that. The idea of music is being like secondary to some other product. Um, but now we're really there post Napster. It's like, hmm. okay, I feel old fashioned talking about, you know, like records. Right. You know what I mean? Like now it's like, oh, people pay for music. 
for some generations, that's mind blowing. Oh, y'all used to pay for it? Like, like yeah, pay like more than you do for. Uh, can I say so? More than you do for a month, we would pay for like a thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah. 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 <laughs> and that kind of uh, leads into the next question I had. So, what are some of the the biggest changes that you've seen across the industry in the t- in the time you've been in it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it's the stuff we've all seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never. I'm not an insider. You know, so I don't want to front like, oh, well, you know, it's interesting. in my day, uh, generally observable. Um, I mentioned the streaming, just the fact that, that you know, the idea that music wasn't a product in and of itself that people necessarily as purchasable. That might be the most striking change. Um in terms of production, you know, the, the move into a digital sound, if I can put it that way, uh, you know, in the box work, you know, versus, you know, acoustic, you know, you're a player. So you know. um, the time I came along was the place where that transition started to happen, that major transition started mm-hmm. to happen. You know, I was a little kid in the 70s, but, you know, pre-sampling, pre-80s, it would still, you got to play it, mm-hmm. acoustic instrumentation. So the, you know, once the digital revolution happened, uh, we kind of sort of moved into really less of a necessity to have to have craft per se. You know, even now, some of the uh, uh, some of the instruments that have been developed, you know, some things I don't even know the names of some of the things. Uh, like I saw a keyboard esque instrument recently that, you know, would allow you to pitch bends so you can play between, you know, less than a semitone. You can play between mm-hmm. the pitches. I forgot what it's called, but I, I saw some cats playing that. The digital explosion has really uh, this paradigm. It, it shifted the paradigm. Um, and for me, I, I don't know, you may get into this. I don't want to like waste too much time on this. But in terms of how I'm dealing with that, I try not to be the old fogey. <laughs> well, what's wrong with the regular piano? I try not to be that guy. Right. Uh, so I want to... What, you know, how do they, how do they put it, um, you know, change with the times or remain relevant? There it is. Absolutely. I'm good with that as a concept. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop right there on that. All <laughs> good, no. I'm going to get into the old fogey conversation. No, and you, but, uh, and you do seem to remain relevant with, with what, you're doing, what you're doing in recording and, and your own music. Yeah, I guess balance is the word. Um, I like traditional musicality, if I can go there semantically but you know some of the new newer sounds are fresh you know what i mean so like timbre wise i hope i'm not talking over you know, the audience's head or whatever but, um, yeah so trying to find a balance between just traditional instrumentation and a traditional approach to music and what's happening now which is heavily digital you know sound um well one way i can put it that may give you something more uh thumbnail-ish is uh now sound design seems to be more of a thing Arranging proper versus sound design, sound effects, you know, processing, things like that. Uh, it's it's a lot more. It's still a sonic discipline, but it's notes and chords and progressions. That part is not always the thing, which is a little weird for me. Right. If you're classically trained, you grow up, you know, learning it one way, and then 
then the technology is a whole new ball of wax. It, yeah, it yeah. is, you know, the, the technology and then, then just the philosophy, just the, the whole listening concept. So, yes, it's been, it was a little disorienting, but I'm trying to find the, the balance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think you do. I, and we'll, uh, we'll include some of Steve's music at the end of the show here to, to make sure that people can hear it and hear how I, I do think he's definitely found that balance. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you found as a musician um, in the industry in the time that you've been in it um, going through that? And, and that's, a, that's pretty mm, okay, open-ended. It what, is. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so I'll give you one example of something I consider to be valid. Go just on it. a personal level. And then this deals more with, let's say, ethnicity slash sure. culture slash race. Uh, but here's an experience that I had uh, performing cruise ships. Um, uh, and I'll give the example, and then I, you, you can unpack it if you have the time. Uh, I remember when I first started doing the gig, Piano Bar, mm-hmm. started doing the gig. Um, uh, and for those who don't know, uh, I think it's safe to say that the primary demographic cruise ship uh, you know, barring the ones that, that operate in uh, international territories. American, uh, you know, middle, maybe middle-aged Americans, so a lot of times uh, the primary uh, genres I discovered are, you know, classic rock, uh, show tunes, standard. Those, that's, sure. You know, that's kind of the main three things. So I remember when I first started playing in those spaces, and I'm an R&B cat, so... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in 2012, when I got into the gig, I had to expand the repertoire because a lot of that music I didn't grow up with, so it wasn't my primary church cat, gospel background, kind of, you know, blues-based, soul-based background. But anything outside of really mainstream MTV records that every American was forced to know, I wear my you know, mm-hmm. anything that was not super A-side, I, I probably had never even heard it. So when I got into the, the, the ship game, uh, and I'm you know, performing for a demographic for whom that stuff is, the, that's, that's what they grew up on. I was really light on the repertoire when I first got in. But I remember having an experience once where I was playing a Sinatra tune. Sinatra, I think this is probably a cover. I don't think he originated. It was, uh, I've got you under my skin. I do a real good version of I got you under my skin. It swings, I... <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna air it. I smash it, right? <laughs> so a gentleman came in. He was an elderly gentleman. Came in and he, uh, he asked, "You got any Sinatra?" I says, "Yeah, sir, I got." And that's like that was like my favorite Sinatra right. recording. I don't even know what year it was, but it's like uh, I don't know if you've heard it, like with the big band. Yep. It's just like a great. Right? Mm-hmm. So I killed it, right? And he was the only guy in the bar. And when I finished it, um, he looked at me and said, "So you gave me the Stevie Wonder version." <laughs> Oh man! Uh, I'm a, I was like, uh, thank. You? <laughs> you, so really he... you know, so uh, now I think that encapsulates something. So, so culturally, uh, I was not aware. I had not had any experience where uh, I had not experienced the well, the friction. Uh, between uh, the preferential friction, you know, between, okay, well, 
this group of people prefers this sound. Mm-hmm. And if you don't give it to them exactly the way they're used to hearing it, you can get some pushback. People can be, they can be really critical about that. And I'm like, oh, now I had to catch myself from saying, but Stevie's better, right? You better not even, you, you, you know, yeah. so you get into this stuff about yeah. the sacred cows and, uh, Here's another great thumbnail about you that I'm mm-hmm. dancing around. Big Mama Thornton versus Elf. Mm-hmm. Hound Dog. Mm-hmm. You know, just for listeners, if you haven't heard both versions, just if you hear it, it'll that kind of thing. Sure. You know what I mean? A Pat Boone doing to the Sure. You know, in the in the historical kind of that that was the challenge. Just, you know, and I'm trying not to be just tacking but like, well, race. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I think uh the, well, the history of race kind of tensions in the United States and the way that that has informed the music industry, even in terms of the recordings and, and genre distinctions, you know, black records versus mainstream records. And, it, and even, you know, in, in, in church music, Christian versus gospel, the fact that those are actually culture. Not obviously, I don't know if, how deep you're on the church game, but like not theologically. It's a whole, so that that psychologically that has been right. a thing. So did you, did that make you feel obligated to form your covers more white? You are the best ever. <laughs> Look, okay, so and and that that you just put your finger on it. So if we extend the conversation about that difficulty, mm-hmm. uh, as a person of color uh, working in non personal color spaces. That's always the great philosophical dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, is that selling out? Because, mm-hmm. you know, language is very low. Right. Or is there a way to kind of split the difference there? Right. I tell you, for me, um, the way I figured out how to split the difference was, okay, I'm going to give you all one, and then I need one. I'm going to mm-hmm. give you one, and then mm-hmm. I need one. And I would just be very candid about it and let everybody know, look, um, you don't want me phoning it in. So if I do Sweet Caroline and Piano Man and, you know, Sweet Home Alabama, if I do more than two for you, I'm going to start phoning it in and you're not going to find that entertaining. So huh. I just be straight up. I'm going to give you a Sweet Caroline and then I'm going to play a tune called Pretty Wings by Maxwell. And you don't know what that is and you'll probably love it. Cool. I would just be very candid. And yeah. a lot of times that would work because I'm sort of, Instead of there being an elephant in the room that nobody yeah. wants to touch on, I just say, look, <laughs> we got a thing. We got to negotiate here. Right. You know what I mean? So I found that that sort of helped me deal with it. But I, I'll tell you this. Like performing white, though, in terms of style, I never personally felt comfortable with that. Because for me, that's too much like mimicking. Oh, yeah. Um, but Good for you. But we're all contradictions. Because in the same breath you know, with me saying that, as you well know, as a professional musician, there are vocal styles, though. That's not mimicking. Like, for example, there's a jazz style. So if I did, like, you know, Sinatra or, you know, or whatever, I would do it stylistically appropriate. Um, but that's sort of, we're splitting hairs, especially for those yeah. who don't know what we're talking about. But it's, you gotta, yeah. you gotta be careful. So, no, nah, I mean, I never, ultimately, the way I was able to resolve the issue for myself was, realize everybody sees that you're black when they walk in this bar they see that you're black so everybody sees that 
So in a way, people expect a lot of Nat King, mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of Luffy. It's just an unconscious expectation, mm-hmm. which is great for me because, I mean, I, that's my wheelhouse anyway. But most people sort of brought expectations to it when they saw mm-hmm. me because most, most of the people in that space, as you may know, it's like comb over. It's, mm-hmm. they, don't, they, ain't, they don't look like me. You know right. what I'm saying? You know, especially on the ships, it's like, oh. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I ramble a lot. I'm sorry. No, no, it's all good. Uh, yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons we really liked working with you is, you know, for one of our gigs that you played, uh, it was out in, uh, you know, I'll just say a, a very Caucasian suburb <laughs> of, of the area. And, you know, you did your research and you, you found music that was appropriate for it. You played some country, you know, covers and you did it your own way, though. And, it, you know, that was perfect. And, you know. So that's, you know, that's, you know, we really appreciate people who are doing things like that, um, who are researching the demographic and who can do that, who have the versatility to do that. Um, Have there been any other um, moments along the way where where race has been uh, an issue for you besides just like, uh, besides affecting the music, Uh, maybe your role in the industry or things like that? Oh, I know what you mean. Just sort of extra musical Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, well, not not that because I, I reflected on that you know a, mm-hmm. little, a few days ago, uh, knowing that you touch on it. Um, no, my my run ins run ins with it have been primarily musical, but I think that's only because my proximity to the industry has been uh, lower level. I know lower level may sound like a, a value judgment. Mm-hmm. I don't mean it that way. Uh, for example, because um, I don't work in label offices, I'm not in AR. Um, I'm a part of the industry, but more of a, you could say local. Technically, my, my, my activity isn't necessarily local, but you, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the way that I interface with the industry has not put me in positions where I would be dealing with that sure. administratively. Corporate. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. You know, so, you know, other than the performance, right. uh, if, if it didn't happen in that space, there wouldn't be much of an opportunity. Yeah. Um, I have, for, like, for example, even in terms of shopping material, which is not something I've done lately. Uh, in the past, when I've shopped it, uh, I, it wasn't a situation where I ran into uh, a scout saying, "Oh yeah, man, you know you're you're awesome. You should consider jazz, though, or you should, you know." I, I, I've never been in, in a position where, uh, you know, percept um, cultural racial perceptions affected me. Good. Yeah, outside Good. of the performing. Well, that is a big a big part of it, though, too. So yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing so, um, so much and so personally on that topic. I really appreciate it. And I think a lot of people will probably identify with that too. Um, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way, being a musician, being, mm. being a real performer, a professional performer in the industry? Mm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, and here's another cliche, but it in a cliche. <laughs> Being yourself is a big thing. Hmm. Uh, authenticity. Uh, actually, a, a dear friend of mine and a, a fantastic storyteller. And I talk about that all the time. Uh, authenticity, that's, it took me 40-something years, honestly, to learn that really is central. It's not just uh, a thing you want. It's not just a box you want to make sure you check. You know, along with, oh, you know, developing technique or, you know, business savvy. 
I've come to believe it's the whole bag. Uh, and one way I, I might illustrate why I say that is, you know, those of us who you know, study university conservatory, those of us who are really serious about craft, you know, scales and arpeggios, broken chords, that whole thing, you know, the, 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 the chops, for example, vocalese and all of that. Uh, Willie, Willie Nelson is beloved. I don't. He's. I mean, he sold more records than God. I, who who knows? I, I don't. I don't know his. You know his his financial. You know, like stats. But the man is not a technician. That's just not his. You know, and he is absolutely beloved. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, not just to talk about Willie only, but I think that's an excellent example of uh, the fact that music art essentially is really something other than technique. And those of us who studied, it's easy to kind of forget that because we spent all these years working on chops. And then we wonder why, you know, and a lot of times you see there's a resentment sometimes or even a jealousy, like, you know, so-called pop acts, you know, filling arenas, you know, oh, well, that's not even thinking a major pentatonic lick all night. Yeah, but people are feeling it, though. So there's that X factor about art. What is it really? Is it really the theoretical, theoretical organization of, of Hertz? Is that really what it is? No. No. So I, I learned that. I, yeah. Just, is, is it real? Such a cliche. But I mean, I see why. I remember a, a, a gentleman when I was at IU, actually, um, Melvin Van Peebles, uh, uh, kind of legendary writer, Mario's dad. He said to us in a writing class one time, uh, cliches become cliches because they're that's one of those. Is is true. So I that that I learned that. It took me almost all of my years <laughs> to learn that the thing is authenticity. I always hid behind the other stuff. I wasn't being honest. Like even in the songwriting, I wasn't thinking like, well, let me be real here. No, I was thinking like, does that sound good or how would this topic go over? I was thinking like a, uh, like a merchant in a sense. I wasn't thinking like you know, is this how personal is this? No, I didn't. I didn't want to do that because that's vulnerability. You have to risk. You know, Will Smith has a line that's in one of his uh, tracks that says, "If you don't like my cut, it's like you don't like me." Mm. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. I want to let's keep some separation. I, I, mm -mm. Nah, no, the, the artists who are beloved, no, they don't do that. And I, I don't mean oversharing or TMI, yeah. but they're, you're, you're listening to them. That's, yeah, I learned that. That was a hard lesson. Well, learned. Yeah. Great answer. Uh, what advice would you give to those working to be musicians right now? I was just starting to get in. Definitely that first thing. Uh, well, let me, well, actually, let me qualify that. I think, so the first thing I would probably say is, if, if we're thinking of this in terms of a career discussion, nobody get into, um, I would actually say pick a focus. I know that that's, that has been an ongoing discussion, uh, jack of all trades or master of one, which is the best way to, to approach, you know, being in the business. Is it better for you to be? You know, an arranger and a performer and a, uh, I think in terms of multiple streams of income, 
uh, the more uh, skills that you have, the better in terms of, you know, getting the bag, yes. But I do think in terms of mastery, in terms of being really great at something, uh, I kind of subscribe to the one thing uh, kind of thinking. So, you know, be great at something. So you, you may have to sort of decide where you want to focus to me. And I know that that may or may not be correct. It may vary from person to person. But uh, yeah, pick a focus. Uh, if you can pick, you know, an instrument, even if you decide to do multiple things, you definitely want one thing, though, that when it comes down to it. Because in terms of being competitive, I mean, competition is a reality. Even if you're not insecure, even if you're not jealous, um, that's just a basic, you know, a job market economic reality. It's the same way in the arts. You'll be auditioning, which is competition. So if you want to do this professionally, you need to approach it the same way you would want to be, you know, a, a CPA or something. There's a competitive element. So I, I, I would say focus. You know, make sure you have something that, especially if they're ch ch children and they have, you know, the 10,000 hours realistically ahead of them that they can invest. Oh, yeah. You, think about trying to master something is the first thing I would say. Um, work on your sight reading. <laughs> that would be the very next thing I would say, because if you're talking about professional, if you, that's that, it'll make or break you. If you're talking about doing this profession because in terms of living wage, I mean, I'm not telling you nothing, anything you don't know. In terms of living wage, if, if you're fluent in sight reading, you, you can, you have a good shot at making, earning a living wage. And if you're not, it's going to be really difficult. You know, you know, because, you know, for us, I mean, the gig is you're 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 an on tap professional, whether you're, you know, studio session person, uh, whether you're playing for, you know, orchestra, whatever you're doing. We need this reproduced now. Here's a couple of minutes. Look it over. You ready? OK, downbeat. And uh, I remember uh, the late professor Dave Baker, David Baker at IU. He would always say, ain't no oops. Don't nobody want to hear no oops. And they just don't want to hear that. You know, you get one and then you don't get invited back. You know, so, so yeah, pick a focus and work on your sight reading. Those are very, very <laughs> valid points. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. I think I, I need to start wrapping things up, but I, sure. uh, I, I, you gave me three songs to, to, to select from for, mm -hmm. the, uh, for the show here. And I picked, uh, you told me to pick one. <laughs> yeah, it was on you. I, I, yeah, I, and yeah, I, cool. picked, uh, I picked I picked Digital Love. So can you tell me maybe just a, just a little bit about that song? Yes. So, um, and then the, the lyrics, they speak for themselves. Uh, that was inspired by my dating app uh, experience. So, you know, I'm, I'm uh, middle-aged and single, um, unplanned. Right. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm in a period of life where I'm back out here, so to speak. And, um, last time I was out here, there was no such thing as a dating app. So fish out of water experience, mm -hmm. what I've had with it. Uh, but I actually had one exceptional experience with a person through one of the platforms and that experience inspired me to write that tune. Uh, and, and Rossi, I'm led to understand is uh it means rose in fiji it may it actually may mean something like in italian too but i know in, in fiji particularly 
So that that was a that was a reference for a for a certain person. Very good. So much for thanks for talking with me today, and thank you for your music yeah. and for your work ethic. I love learning more about you and and working with you. And thanks for being here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to just end with a, a quick shout out to one of our patrons. And actually, Steve, you know her. Um, this is Susanna with Brilliance 360 Lifestyle Business Coaching. Um, Brilliant 360 understands that opt- optimizing time and directing cash flow properly can strengthen a business's efficiency, efficiency and excellence. Brilliance 360 will help your business prioritize goals, systematize, and create an action plan to, fill, to, to build and maintain ongoing growth and success. As a result, a growing business provides a fulfilling lifestyle of joy and abundance. Brilliance 360 also offers a variety of coaching and consulting services to fit the need of your business design, including personal consulting, educational workshops, and team-focused groups. Thank you for being a great patron of Wisconsin Music Ventures, of our podcast, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Rossi. Life reset, second time around. Middle age on date naps, getting clown. It was getting me down. Fish out of water, a different mindset when you got three daughters. Been out of the game for three decades. But even before I left the field, I never played games. A man among lames, talking about brains when I say I'm on brains. Digital warehouse, swipe left, swipe right. Zero respect if I can't pipe right. Everybody's on their flex and hype, right? Screen so small, I can't even type right. Vision starts to go with age. Gramps on Tinder, over age. Trying to be the strong, silent type. Alpha male posturing on a horse, can't ride it right. I don't know how this goes. Digital love, highs and lows. Cause really, I don't know how this goes. Dating accounts dry as dust, 100% bot, so this swipe thing is a bust. Type too much, type too little, like too much, it's a fool's riddle. She liked my pick, I was like, what's this? So fine, it's gotta be a catfish, whatever, nothing better to do. Scan the profile, I'll be seeing right through. Ooh, from the quote at the top of the page, I'm verbally hypnotized in a state of amaze. Where she been all my days? I'm phased, heart rate raised. She's blowing away the haze. Banking on her being my guide out of the maze. Guide myself, lead myself, yeah I know. On my black Jerry Maguire, there I go. Forgetting I take me everywhere I go. I don't know how this goes. Digital love, highs and lows. Cause really I don't this goes digital love trying to find my rules find my rules listen i know you don't need a man but that spirit you got can feed a man have him walking around like he the man define gravity like peter pan you don't need a fan superstars got plenty but searchlight want to work nights can he making it plain is my mo penetrating gaze in a zen flow we're not equals, you above and beyond. I want to make up ground with love and beyond. I want a woman who inspires me to grow. Yeah, I should do it for me, I already know. But ain't no inspiration like what a five-star lady generating. 
14,000 Ks away. You're worth flying for a 24 hour day. Passport check. I don't know how this goes. Digital love, highs and lows. Cause really, I don't know how this goes. so much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again.